Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 66. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have fifth-degree black belt Mauricio Tinguinha Mariano. Besides being the owner of Tinguinha Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Yorba Linda, California, he is also the national director for the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu program for all UFC gyms. He talked about the importance of having mentors in your life, his struggle with asking for help, which I resonate very much so, and my takeaway from the interview was when I asked him about a suggestion to all aspiring entrepreneurs, and his answer inspired me to title this episode, Find Your Passion and Live It. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I talk about the correlation between passion and authenticity. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Woos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Mauricio Tinguinha Mariano. Tinguinha is a fifth-degree black belt under Carlos Gracie Jr. He is the owner and head instructor at Tinguinha Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Yorba Linda, California. He is the national director for the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu program for all UFC gyms. Tinguinha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, my friend. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm uh, looking forward for, to, to having this conversation with you today. Yes, I've uh, been watching you for a long time, and it is a pleasure to have you here since the early 90s. You've always been a super aggressive competitor, so it was always fun to watch you competing, uh, coming up in a, the lower belt. So it's a, definitely a... I honor to have you here. So how did you, how did you jiu-jitsu show up in your life? Um, I don't know if you had any experience with any other martial arts before, but how yes. was it? Yes. Uh, so I started I start jiu-jitsu at a very young age. Uh, you know, most, uh, I believe most of the people from my generation in sport, you know, uh, most of our black belts from my generation, we did judo, right? Judo is, uh, I did judo as a little kid. And uh, then I transitioned for jiu-jitsu, right? So I, I was doing judo in school. And uh, at 11 years old, I probably moved uh, to Barra da Tijuca. That's when I moved to Barra. It's a new, it was a new neighborhood, right? And uh, my brother, so I still continue training judo uh, in Barra. And uh, my brother, my, my older brother, started training uh, jiu-jitsu at Grace Academy. And the Grace Academy... It was uh, probably three blocks from my house, right? So as he started training over there, he started talking to me about jiu-jitsu. I never heard about jiu-jitsu, right? And uh, that was my first 
time I heard about. And uh, then I discovered uh, Jiu-Jitsu was uh, pretty much a continuation of Judo. And I uh, went to one class. Uh, I love it. And uh, I transitioned from stop training Judo and start training Jiu-Jitsu. So that was my, my beginning at 12 years old. That's interesting because my story is pretty similar to that. Yeah. I started with Judo. And then at one point, um, I had a lot of bad grades in school. My mom got me off <laughs> Judo. So that took me a while for me to get back into that. And then my brother started training in Jiu-Jitsu. And I, I, I was aware of Jiu-Jitsu since actually my father I didn't grow up with him, but he did train Jiu-Jitsu in the 60s and stuff. So I, oh, really? I knew about it. But and then when my brother started training, I said, like, hey, I told him, I want to get back to Judo. And he was like, man, you got to check Jiu-Jitsu out. Yeah. It's like you said, it's a continuation, you know. You exactly. Just, yeah, so that was pretty and, cool. And then I and, never and, went back to Judo. And who was your father training in the 60s? Yeah, uh, Kyoto Academy. Oh, okay, nice, nice. Yeah. That's great, so, man. That's so, great. Yeah, so a long time ago. Nice. So how do you feel Jiu-Jitsu relate to life? So uh, it's, uh, you know, I... A lot of when I do interviews, some one of the one of the things I like to say, you know, jiu-jitsu is not a part of my life, but it is my life, right? So as as I just told you, I started training jiu-jitsu very young age, so I jiu-jitsu, you know, was a part of my education, right? So to my parents, to the jiu-jitsu, you know, everything in my life is related to jiu-jitsu, right? My friends, my work, my relations, uh, you know, so. Jiu-Jitsu is not a part of my life. It is my life. So everything I do, I, I'm very thankful for Jiu-Jitsu. Everything I have, uh, everything I learn, uh, you know, it's related to Jiu-Jitsu. So it is my life. <laughs> yeah. And when did you have the spark? When you figured out that you said, you know what? I think I can make a living with this. I, I can make a living with Jiu-Jitsu. And so when was that moment? So that, that moment, I think I have two moments in my life. One, when I was 17 years old, uh, was the day I got promoted to a purple belt. And uh, that was a belt promotion at the academy. And uh, the same day, uh, Roberto Gordo, Correa, right? And Ralph Gracie and Jucão, some of the other guys got promoted to black belt. And Veraculino uh, was promoted to, to brown belt, soccer to brown belt. So it was a big belt promotion. Uh, and I remember, I fin or as soon as I got my belt, I fin as soon as the thing was over, uh, I was talking to Gordo, and I came to Gordo, like, man, I was so happy, I got my purple belt, and I asked Gordo, Gordo, uh, how, how was your life? Because Gordo was doing this full-time, right? That, that was, he was doing for a living. And Gordo looked at me like, man, I, you know, something on his face, right? He's just like, I have my, uh, <laughs> I have money to eat. And, uh, you know, I can, I have money to put gas on my car and that's what I'm doing. Mm. <laughs> and the way he sounds to me, you know, like it was, it was no question about, you know, that's what he loves to do. And that's what I keep, we're going to keep doing. And as a young age, you know, I'm not, I'm not thinking about the future, you know, as far money, family, stuff like that. Like, man, I like, man, that's what I want to do, you know, but it's the way he said to me, you know, it was a, uh, it's just, it was different, you know, I saw in his eyes, like, you know, he's doing what he likes to do, and, you know, and, and the other thing is, it doesn't matter, what matters is jiu-jitsu for me, that's what I, I felt, and uh, I decided that day, like, man, I want to be a black belt, I want to do this for a living, right, and this is the first time, and then I continued training, and then when I got my promote to a black belt, and I was 21 years old, <clears throat> uh, I was, uh, 
uh, training, right, competition, but always at school, a law school at that time. So by the time, you know, I, I, I become aware that to make a living in Jiu-Jitsu, especially in Brazil, is real hard. Uh, so always, you know, think about the plan B. So I want to be uh, police, you know, police, go onto the, the police side. My father was a, was a, a police chief. So this was kind of my plan B, but I want to be a black belt. I want to keep teaching, right? But I knew uh, if I want to just doing this, I have to leave from Brazil. That was kind of, like I have this back on my mind. And when I was 21 years old, uh, I was in the school, and then I have an opportunity to go to Sao Paulo, São José do Rio Preto, uh, to open the first Grace Barra outside of uh, Rio. So uh, when the Carlinhos came and talked to me about that, you know, I, I was no question. You know, I dropped everything and I went forward to, the, to that place in Sao Paulo. And uh, that was my first time I was doing this a full time and teaching, training and, you know, make a live of that. Right. And I never looked back and I'm here now. So at 17, I realized I want to do that. And 21, it's, it was, I made me show it to me it was possible to do it. And then I did. And when did you come to the U.S.? What year was that? Uh, in 2000. 2000. I moved to the U.S. in 2000. Wow. So from, yeah. From, so that was, uh, I was in San Jose do Rio Preto for almost a year. And right after that, I left Japan. So I lived in Japan for two months, same way, you know. I was kind of part of the, uh, the, the visual colors to open many great bars. So I was one of the first guys helping to open schools, right? Start there. So I went to to Japan, uh, lived there for two for for two months. And they opened the Grace Bar there. It was back at the time it was Gracie Academy, only the name. Uh, the school opened, doing really well. I went back to Brazil. I uh, stayed there for two more years competing, and then I, I left to the US. Yeah, and how was the mindset when you actually left Brazil going? going to the u.s because as soon as you go after pursue your dream i know that sometimes it's rough for people to leave their state and it's not easy sometimes you live like you left to sao paulo it definitely wasn't an easy decision because you're so used to it, everything in your family and so forth and so moving out of state's really tough moving out of country that's a whole different ball game learning about culture uh, everything so how is the mindset coming into the U.S. back in 2000? So, you know, one thing I always have on my head, so I think I have on my side, is always I knew if this is what I want to do, I have to leave one day, right? So I, I have my mind ready for that for a long time. So when I left, you know, uh, the goal was learning English uh, and see how the thing going, right? But as far as the business side, I didn't have any clue. I true. I thought was we just need to have a place to teach and things are going to happen, right? So it was a challenge. Uh, of course, you know, leave it, you know, like that was, I was on the top of, the, you know, of my career in competition. Uh, but, the, you know, my love to have, this is a part of my dream to have my own school, right? So this was bigger than any competition. So that was my drive to do that, right? And I, of course, when I moved to here, I was still doing competition, stuff like that. But uh, but when I moved to US, you know, I knew my, my priority would be the school, so that means my students. 
So I already have a really good mindset. And uh, the, the learning experience I had in Sao Paulo before helped me to understand that. Maybe if I was direct from Brazil, from Rio to to U.S., I'd probably be a real hard transition. But because I left before leaving my house, my family went to Sao Paulo. It was it was hard the transition there, and I I understood you know how it takes, how much work takes. So that that was easy, you know. It wasn't easy, but it was easier to you know to do that transition to U.S. Yeah, something else that I resonate with what you're saying too, that uh, you mentioned that you're on top of your career and competing, but the goal, the final goal is to have an academy. And uh, the same thing with me and, and a moment that I felt that I was starting to really get a good momentum in my career, but I felt to living in Rio and I saw the progression of how fast jiu-jitsu was growing from the early 90s towards the end of the 90s, like, man, if I want to make a living, I, I, knew that, uh, I knew that I had to live real. That was for sure thing. I said, like, I, I have to live real. And I kind of had that thought into possibly maybe, maybe move abroad, but it would be a question of opportunity. But I was more like just saying that I knew that I was going to have to leave somewhere. And that was rough because I had to sacrifice, same thing, sacrifice my competition career for this dream. And that's one point that even for some people have their their goals. And I tell these people sometimes like, oh, yeah, the dream of being a world champion. I'm like, man, uh, coming up, we didn't even have world championships. So the goal yeah. wasn't to become a world champion. Exactly. There's no such a thing. So it was exactly. more like I want to have an academy. And then so it happens that, yeah, I competed uh, at the Worlds in 96, 97, 98. And then 99, I came to the U.S. So for me, it was just like just extra tournaments are there. Now I got I got to go and look for my uh, uh, start going after my dream. So that was uh, similar in this way. So now what did you say it's probably some of the toughest entrepreneurial experiences that you had so far and what did you learn from it you know, of running the school and doing everything you do? So, you know, everything is, you know, running a business is extremely hard. You know, I, I have many ups and downs. But one thing when I think about, first thing I think about, it was uh, a tournament I organized. Uh, I was here maybe for three years, maybe 2004, 2005. I'm not sure that the timeline. And I was doing in-house tournaments, right? What I do in my school, invite people. This tournament's all uh, been very successful. You know, we have invite students, I mean, uh, academies. People come in and then we're doing well. And then I have the idea, like, man, I want to do a tournament outside. So we did a tournament outside. And, uh, you know, back the time, you know, there was no registration online. So I did an invitation. We announced on, online. And uh, my expectation will be a little bit over 100 compared, right? And the, the waiting was a day before the tournament. So we organized the tournament. And uh, the day before the tournament, that's the one that find out how many people will be coming in. I knew people from my school, some of the friends there. And then I have over 300 people to come into the tournament, <laughs> right? So that was a nightmare. It was like the day of the tournament, you know, I was, you know, pretty much who was organizing the tournament was me and my wife. <clears throat> uh, we have a setup organization, 
okay organization for 100 competitors, and then we have over 300 uh, people from Las Vegas, people from Arizona came, I think Megaton back the time he came uh, with the students. So we have a lot of people there, and we have to go through, right? I, I couldn't tell people, hey, maybe you can sign up, there's so many people here. So the tournament was real bad <laughs> as organization. Back the time, you know, think about the, the tournaments in Brazil, right? Everything is late for two or three hours, and we didn't have enough people, so we had asking people to help. So I always, you know, as an experience, right, I, I, I like to do, I've tried to do, you know, everything as right as possible. And uh, for me, it always, I was very upset with, the, the, you know, the whole thing happened. But uh, but I learned, you know, of, of course, you know, to be able to plan stuff in place. But this was my, was my first tournament, right? Uh, so the, the, you know, the day, you know, the week before, after, I was pretty down, you know, like, like man, you know, I feel so bad. I want people to come in and have a good experience. Uh, but uh, it was a learning experience. And, uh, you know, I learned, you know, it's uh, – you know, I gotta I gotta plan stuff before well and and you know and then back in Brazil, you know, as you know, we didn't have a good organization and you know, I didn't have a uh, you know I never have a chance to see a, a well organized tournament. So, uh, but I learned right. So I learned to to be prepared for the you know we have the expectation, but we we have to have a, a process in place and a plan in place to to you know for those situations happen. I just remember some of the the tournaments that I experienced in Brazil. I competed one. It was at the uh, uh, Hillsu. The, there's a mall they had, you know, the, yes, yes. Was the, the school. They had a, a, a outside uh, court and they put the mats there. And so I had competed in some in, in house terms before, but this, uh, but uh, this is like the early 90s. And I, I remember that they said, okay, the tournament starts at 9 a.m. Okay, no problem. So I got there like 8.30. Not even staff were there. There's like no one there. And I'm like, dude, is it here? And then people start to come in. So that started like maybe like two hours later. And then with kids. So they went all the kids and stuff. And the tournament was uh, just kids and up to blue belt. And... I'm there like all oh, that. I just had a, a like a, a shake in the morning, and then I asked my instructor like, "Hey, it's about time." Like, yeah, the guy said you're gonna go in about half an hour. So I was like, "Okay, I warm up," and then I have after half an hour, and I'm like, "Man, nothing." And sit down. Like, okay, he said you're going up again. So basically, I was there from nine when it was six p.m. They announced, "Okay, uh, we ran the gym only until six o'clock, and we have to leave." So we're going to continue the tournament next weekend. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like next weekend. So they yeah. broke down some, a bunch of the divisions wow. that couldn't finish. So you see like how bad that in Brazil was. It was really yes. bad. You know? I, I, I did a competition at 2 a.m. Supposed to be fighting in the morning. Like, you know. Uh, Atlantico yeah. Sul. Atlantico Sul, yeah. It's yeah. Sad. Yeah. It's, it's really, really bad. Yes. Exactly. Um, and the thing with the tournament too, what you just mentioned, uh, I've been promoting tournaments as long as I've been here in the U.S. Yes, so about, I know. About, you know, uh, 20 years. And I did. The, I went through the same scenario, four years doing in-house tournaments, and I find, you know what, I need, I need to start moving uh, to a bigger place. 
And that happened too. It was the beginning. There's no online registration yet. And then same thing, registration ends Friday night. And that was a lot more than I expected. And man, that night I ended up making the brackets at like 6.15 or yes. just a.m. I just hopped in the shower, that, just went to the tournament. And so that I started to improve. Okay, no more registration ends on, on Friday. Now in the day before, so yeah. Thursday. Now the Wednesday. Always like keep adapting. So yes. with tournaments, man, every event we learn. Yes. Every event is different. And, and never is going to be perfect, right? Never. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we definitely do the best we can to provide the service. Yes. But man, uh, I'm in one tournament and I'm already thinking about the next one. Or like, man, I don't want this to happen again. I need to fix this. I need to fix that. You know, so, but uh, yeah. tournaments, it can be pretty challenging. Yes, it is. Especially if you care, right? Some people don't care, right? If it ah, didn't happen, some people like this don't care, right? Like, and if you care, right, that's that's what bothered me so much on that time because, you know, I want to provide the service, right? And it was intense to that happen. And I couldn't close the registration, right? Like I said, all right, man, sorry. But like I said, I had people from Las Vegas, Arizona, like, man, I can't do that. I, I got I to gotta go through that. And then, you know. Yeah, this is a great point you said about care because sometimes you go to some events, you know who care or of course, this is a this is a business, right? Um, yes. We expect to be compensated financially for our efforts, but I mean, you do have that's kind of like an like, extrinsic motivation, and the intrinsic motivation of like, man, I really want to provide a good service. And I think one of the things since the beginning, as a promoter, I always thought, and I still do. I think I like to. F- to think 50-50, 50% as a promoter, 50% as an athlete, which means what do I appreciate when I go to tournaments? I want schedule. I want a clean bathroom. I want a decent medal. I want a t-shirt. I want good referees. You know, so I try to think all of that. And, but at the same time, I got to keep my feet on the ground knowing that I'm a promoter. There's so much that I can do. So finding the balance of you know, the promoter side plus the athlete or how would you like to be treated with organization? I think it's huge. And sometimes people who have not competed or maybe they have competed once or twice, but I'm saying they never been like a full-time competitor. They kind of understand, you know, some of like the struggles of like going in a tournament, wait all day and not compete or something like that. You know what I mean? Or you go in like, yeah, you're going at three and now we're going at 2 a.m things like that yeah yeah no i agree now uh we're talking a little bit before we started about things to share with the listeners people because we do have some people who are in transition they're doing things that uh, maybe they're working on something that they're not very happy they wish they would be doing something else and sometimes they get into the thing man i want to have my own business okay and and they end up sometimes getting to some business that they're not even passionate or they really like. It's just because the outcome, the extrinsic motivation is there of the money that you're going to make. And we're talking about this is an issue that in the future can become a problem. You know, when you just focus on just the money, you're actually doing something, especially if you go into uh, a business. So what do you think some of the advice or suggestion you can give to people who are in this transition do they want to 
leave the job that they're not happy right now because they want to maybe pursue something else, what would you tell them? So, uh, you know, I think you kind of on your questions, you already said what I think here is the passion, you know, like it's, it's about the passion, you know, I, you know, I have many, many people in my life, in the beginning of my life, you know, tell me to, you know, and they don't want the best for me, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me to do the, you know, the, the, the right things they believe was supposed to be the best for me, you know, uh, go to school, you know, make the, go to the college, uh, doing the, you know, the stuff is going to be secured for your life. You know, the job is going to do that kind of stuff, you know, but my passion is jujitsu, you know, like I, I like to say jujitsu, my religion is my life. Right. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I can't imagine it if it was, you know, a law school, if it would be a lawyer, you know, if you have to be a lawyer, I would be not be a good lawyer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I don't like this, right? So then I have think about this, you know. I'm thinking about security my life and uh, I'm going to find this job and I have to do this job for 30, 40 years. I'll be miserable, right? So I think the number one thing is find your passion. What do you like? What do you really like to do? And, you know, you're going to do well. You're going to do, you're going to be fine. And then you have to get an education to understand, you know, this is my passion. And now I need to get the education to understand how can I make a live of this? What I need to do, what I need to learn, right? And then you go from there. And there's no, you know, I can see people go wrong with that, right? I, you know, as you know, jujitsu, you know, right now, it's probably on the top in the, you know, for, for where we start. You know, people can really can make a live of this, either as a fighter, right? Uh, it's so many stuff, you know, as a business, you can step in with jiu-jitsu. But I start on the time, there was no hope, right? I, my number one reason I was wanted to teach jiu-jitsu because I love to do it, right? So today, I see many people jumping on that, on that boat, let's put it this way. Oh, because it's possible to make money, right? Maybe in three or four or five years, the, the market will go down and Jiu-Jitsu not going to be that much. Oh, we have ups and downs in any business, right? And I see those people are going to be the first one, well, I need to find something to do now. So when they come with a the problem, they want to step out, right? They want to try to find a new thing. And they're never going to do well thinking that way, right? I'm going to do this, I'm this for life, right? Uh, if you go up and down, I'm going to be here. And, you know, I like to say I don't have a plan B. That's my plan, and I will make that happen. That's all my mindset, right? When I come to here, to U.S., you know, I, I was, you know, there was no plan B to go back or find another. Like, I need to make this happen. That was number one, right? So my, that's my passion, and I don't have a problem. If I have to do this 24-7, you have to think about it. As long as it's jiu-jitsu related, you know, I'll be, I'll feel like I'm not working. So I like to say, you know, I never had a job <laughs> in my life, right? Because I do, that's what I'm doing with jiu-jitsu, right? I don't feel this is a job because that's not my passion. So find your passion and, you know, get to education, all this stuff, and then, you know, go from there. You can't go wrong if you work with the stuff you love. Yeah, because I always mention too that when the hard times come and they will come having a being a business owner at some point the hard time will come yes 
sure. that passion is going to really drive you to keep moving forward because exactly. if you're not so passionate about it, like I'm out of here, I'm not going to put up exactly. with that, you know? So finding the passion, finding the why you're doing what you're doing is, it's so important. And I think that, um, jujitsu, man, the, it's being like I said, the opportunities are incredible. And and here's the thing: even if you're not talking about jujitsu, entrepreneurship. I mean, internet brought a whole different dynamic to things. So, <clears throat> I truly believe that people can make a living anything. Okay, I understand that some professions are definitely harder than others. No doubt about it. You know, but man, the internet just opened up this yes. field of opportunities. Exactly. Uh, you can do like with all jujitsu competitors, as you mentioned, you're basically an entrepreneur. You're yes. building your brand, you're doing seminars, association, t shirts, seminars, workshops, all kinds of stuff. And you can do with other passions as well. And <clears throat> be surprised if someone, some of the successful business out there, they never expect someone to be maybe successful financially with certain type of business. But for sure, the passion is driving that yes, them to sure. get to a point because especially when something very small and very niche that it's not common and someone is making it, you know that they love what they're doing. Exactly, exactly. 100% agree. And then one thing about passion too, you know, we talk about money, right? People talk about money. Some people, the passion is to make money, right? They they love to make money. They That's the deal, you know, and, they, and they're doing well because they love that, that you know. Some people is to help others, right? Some people is to teach. Some people you know, also find your passion. You know? It's to make money. Yeah, go for it. You know? Yeah. So what did you say is a one high-performance habit? Something that you practice daily, every day that helps you in jiu-jitsu, personal profession, uh, professional, what did you say? Yeah, I, you know, I like to say focus, right? Like uh, in jiu-jitsu, you know, like, uh, you know, I think I always have the, you know, the goals and 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 be on focus. What do you, what do you, what I want to do it, and I felt like I I did the same thing in business, and uh, you know, back going back to Brazil, you know, it was uh, as you know this, you know, Brazil being young, and uh, Rio de Janeiro, it's a fun place to be, right? So many stuff to do to party, and. Uh, you know, most of my friends they are they they're going out doing all this stuff, and I was so focused on, on the on the goal I have, right? With the competition, with the training, want to be on weight, to be strong, to be faster, right? So and there's nothing was taking me away from my goal, right? So same way when I transition uh, as a business or my school. With my, you know, with all the stuff I'm doing, you know, I, you know, and the problems are coming, you know, I, 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 I really, I think I'm good and don't, don't let nothing distract me. And uh, I learned this from Jiu Jitsu and, and I see I, I did a good transition for the, for the business too. Yeah, the, the part of the focus, especially I mentioned in Rio, the distractions that you have. I, I went to college for physical education because I wanted something related to sport. I said, if I, if I live in Brazil and maybe I have a gym, you know, that would, you know, I would have to not have to necessarily, but if I want to run it and I want to, yep. I want to have my, uh -huh. so I want to make sure that, so everything worked out that as soon as I graduated, 
I moved to the U.S. But man, I had zero fun in college at all because I was so focused in. I had to. I was already teaching classes. I was uh, going going to school, training, doing uh, English classes. So all in different parts of town. So I didn't have like much of the time to really you know, enjoy or party yeah. and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, so that definitely. Uh, help me to focus too, for sure, man. This is a to make, yeah. like I said, it's it's possible to make a living in anything. However, some of the things are tougher, and jujitsu is one of them. You know what I mean? It's not yes. easy, and if you yeah, not, it's not easy. It's exactly, a lot of frustration. Yeah. So, what did you say is the best advice you've ever received in anything? Uh, so many, you know, to my life. Many good advice, but one I can think about. Uh, it's one for my one of my first students here, and it's one of my first black belt. He's uh, kind of like a brother, older brother for me, and I don't remember exactly what happened. But it was something one of those ups and downs, right? I have some problems, and uh, you know I'm kind of the person I like to help, but I don't like to read how to help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like to you know find my way to do stuff just the way I am you know and I have a lot of respect for this guy uh, for this my friend and uh, and he came to me one time and told me like look man it's okay child to help uh, like think I got to where you know he's very successful if I got here without help people help him you know what I mean and that you know that moment he talked to me about this you know it makes me realize uh, you know, sometimes you see that people talk about self-made, right? Uh, it, man, nobody can, you know, for you get some, some place, you need to, you need to get some help, some people, right? In different ways, not talk about money and talk about, it could be any, any way, right? So you gotta be open to reach out to people for help, right? And, uh, I learned it on, on, on that moment, you know, like I opened my heart for that and, uh, and uh, that was one of the advice he gave it to me, and uh, and because uh, I was, I don't know why I'm that way, but I don't like to to reach out to help. Right, I mm-hmm. feel like I don't want to bother people. I think I have to find my way to do stuff. Right, and uh, and at that moment, you know, like when he, well, this person, I have so much respect, and he told me about him, like, man, do you think I got here? I had people helping to my to my life to get what I am, and uh, you know, it's okay, right? So I kind of like make me realize, you know, I need to be more open for this, right? So that yeah. was one of the good advice to me. Yeah, it's a good one because uh, this is something that I personally struggled to for a long time. Uh, I felt that especially the past, like, let's say maybe six or seven years, I have improved a lot, you know, with this area of accepting to be helped. It's exactly the same way I don't want to bother, you know, and stuff. So uh, through a lot of personal development, I start to understand the reason why. So now... Um, at least I catch myself sometimes I need to help something. And then the voice comes into my head, like, but you're going to help. You don't want to bother. And then I need to catch myself. Like, no, it's okay. I can ask for help. So I just and, need to be aware. And what's the reason why? Because <laughs> I don't know. I still don't know the reason I was that way. Well, um, it's going to turn into a therapy session here, but I don't have a problem. <laughs> I, I talked about this in a few episodes, maybe like uh, episode 59, I guess. So, Usually, it comes through some of our experiences as kids. Okay. Very often. So in this case, 
I was about seven years old and that age seven, eight is crucial for the development of the child of like what that's when you start to really develop your intellect before you're, you're seven, you're just kind of absorbing emotions. And by seven and eight, you start to give like find reasons why you have this emotion. And I remember the because my mom and my dad got divorced and I was forced. So for a few years, it kind of. Uh, to cough and wasn't paying any child support. And in mm. Brazil, they really crack on, you know, the child support and they lock yeah. you up. And I heard the conversation of, of my mom with a lawyer and I was at home and then, and saying that, uh, Hey, um, he's probably going to go to jail because he, he's not paying has been a few years. And then I heard my mom saying like, um, I don't want him to go to jail. I don't want my kids to see that. I want to see their uh, dad in, in jail and stuff. So I never, I never needed him before. Uh, and I don't need right now. I don't need his money. I don't need any of his help. I can do by myself. And that scene for years ingrained in my head that anytime I, f- I ask for help, I would feel guilty that I'm not supposed to be doing that. And I carry that for years, man. And I've been working on personal development, therapy, psychotherapy, and all kinds of stuff uh, for the past 10 years. And that is how I started. That's kind of how I discovered, kind of going back and really figuring wow. some stuff out. How that impact my life of my mom was really bad at asking help, being a single mom, raising two boys with no help from anyone. So I just ingrained in my head that if she, if she did it, I'm supposed to do the same. I'm not supposed to ask for help. So it took me a lot of a, a work, internal work and awareness to realize that. You know what I mean? So some, if, if you dig in, like you really investigate, you might be able to find the source. You know yeah, what I mean? I'll, I'll have to do that. But I feel the same way. It sounds like it's wrong asking for help. That's the feeling I have. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's yeah. weird. That's something for you to investigate, yeah. man. Life yes. is a trip. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. So what advice would you give to the younger Chinguian when you moved to the U.S. in 2000, you came in, not that you want anything different, right? But it's just after almost 20 years, you just go back and have a conversation with him. What is one advice you would give to him? Say like, hey, dude, just watch this here. So looking back, you know, like it's uh, so one thing I believe Everything I went through, that was good because it makes me learn, right? And maybe somebody just tell me, do their way. Maybe I'm not going to have the same lesson to I have to go through. Mm-hmm. But think about here, I would say uh, have a mentors in your life, right? I, I, I did have my, you know, my jiu-jitsu mentor, Carlos Gracie Jr., so for young age, from blue belt all the way to black belt, you know, he was there, you know, for the training, for my diet, lifestyle, you know, so I, I had that, right? I have the, uh, my father is a mentor, but through my life, I'll find some mentors, but I wasn't, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I wish I knew more about, I need more of this, right? So once I moved to U.S., right, that's when I figure out, I find out more about condition, right? It was something was missing on my training in Brazil, but I didn't know that. So I wish I, I couldn't have a, a condition, a, a, 
a mentor, right? Business, I never had a, 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 a business mentor in my life. Uh, I'm, when I moved to US, I started searching to learn more about business, stuff like that, but I wish, you know, I couldn't have a, a business mentor, right? Uh, so that's what I say, you know, like, look, hey, hey little chinguinha, you know, mm-hmm. like our parents say that, listen to the olders, right? Yeah. Uh, they know more, stuff like that, so I wish I have, you know, just like I have one for jiu-jitsu, one for, you know, for my life here, so I have more people that I can consult them and and have that kind of stuff, right? So but, probably uh, you tell them, ask for help. <laughs> yes, there you go, see? There you go, going back to that. <laughs> yeah. Right? So do you have the habit of reading or listen to audiobooks or podcasts or anything like that? Yes, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I wish I could spend more time read, but, uh, you know, every, anytime I read is stuff about business, right? But I, yeah. I yeah. Yes, I have. I read books and stuff like that. Yeah. So, what are some of the books, or maybe one book that you that comes to your to your mind about made an impact on you that you'd rather like, man, and you actually able to implement some of the ideas or concepts? Yeah, it's, it's different books in, in a different phase of my life, right? Absolutely. But uh, uh, one, I think you know, as you we you know we talk about business and jiu-jitsu. So, one book I think is important is uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I don't know if you have you heard about this book. Yes, yes, yes. I read that. Yeah. So uh, I read that book maybe 2005, three or four, and uh, first sounds like a little bit silly. How to win friends? Like like oh, you want to find friends, but I, I you know in our business, uh, having school, being a black belt, now we have a lot of influence in people's life, right? Uh, once I believe one of the the most important things to be successful. In, uh, in a BJJ school is the culture you put inside the, your, your school, and this is coming from the head start, right? The you know the students is the uh, you know it's the flex of the of the, the head shot to there. So you know when that book uh, you know it showed me uh, you know some techniques, some of the way to talk to people, you know, and and I want to be the best influence to my students, and uh, you know and that book here was uh, very special. So. Some of the some of the black belts, you know, I work in and UFC gym and and some of my black belts on my school, you know, I I pass the book to them because I, I truly believe it, it's uh, it's a game change, <laughs> you know, communicating with people, our students, right? Yes, no, it's a it's a great book. Uh, actually, uh, after by the way, you're getting close to the end of the interview. For people who never listen to the podcast, what I do, it's after the interview, I reflect on a interview and then I do an audio from like five to 12 minutes, just based on my takeaway from what do we talk about? And sometimes an idea that comes from a book or something, but I always reflect and uh, create an audio. And I have created maybe like uh, maybe three about uh, this specific book, which is in a list of oh, the really hundred. Nice. It, it's in a, a list of the hundred, like most influential books. Everything was number 19 or something like that, you know? So it's, a, nice. it's an incredible book. So I'll be, I'm not sure what direction I'm going to go with the final thoughts I want to talk about. And that's the one that gives me work because uh, the podcast, it's easy. You're, you guys give me the content, but now creating a content and kind of reflecting on what's taught, uh, what's said, and then teaching in a way, uh, 
in a podcast. And then I share also just the final thoughts on Instagram uh, at Gustavo Dantas BJJ. You can, you can listen to all uh, final thoughts that are available. Nice. So what are you currently excited about? What's going on? I know you guys are super busy with your school plus the UFC as well. So what do you got going on? We're in July. Well, actually, August 2019. Yes. So many things, you know, I, I, like I said, I've been busy, extremely busy. So one thing, uh, you know, pretty much I have three things happen now. One is my school, right? This is as a dream. Uh, when I was 17 years old, as I told, I believe that dream every day. And uh, now I'm on the phase of my school where we have, uh, you know, the headquarter of my school, and you have several more affiliated schools. All those, all those schools affiliated to me is, is my, my students that train with me and they become a black belt. So I'm on the phase now and see those guys as a black belt, open their own school, teaching, uh, promoting another students for different belts, from black belts. So this is a very satisfying to me. To see generation. That. Yeah, the another generation, you know, they they're doing you know that everything I visualized a long time ago, I see this happen now. And it happened in my school. Now I see they doing their own school and I go there in a belt promotion, the seminars, I see the, the people around the same work we did here in my school, they're doing over there. Right? The same same thing happened. And that makes me very, very happy on that phase of or or my you know, career as a, as a, as a instructor, right? So this, this is very satisfying to see that. So extremely happy to see that. Uh, and then we have the, the UFC gym, right? I have been working inside the UFC gym uh, for, I believe now nine years. Wow. Uh, starting the UFC gym, there was just two UFC gyms open. And uh, the vision now, I want to start over there. I was, you know, I knew this would be something bigger. And uh, today, you know, like uh, I, from the beginning, I understood the responsibility. Uh, what happens now, right now, uh, the UFC gym is so many UFC gyms. It's over 200, 300 UFC gyms all over around the world. Uh, with the BJJ program we have inside the UFC gym, uh, the, the BJJ inside the UFC gym, it's... Uh, let me go back. The, the UFC gym opened the door for many new students to start training Jiu-Jitsu, right? I, I'm, I'm visiting many UFC gyms around the world, and I see uh, the majority of people training with that. It's 99% is the white belts. They never trained Jiu-Jitsu before, and 80% they never they – they, they don't know what's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They, they understand the UFC. They know there's a Jiu-Jitsu ground game. So with the work we're doing inside the UFC gym, open the door to introduce Jiu-Jitsu for a bunch of new people. And most of those people, they never will be uh, stepping in a small Jiu-Jitsu school, right? So the, you know, the world they leave, it was never pointing to that, to that martial arts, right? Mm -hmm. So they went to the UFC gym to do some workout, to, learn, to lose weight for different reasons. And they found out there's a, as people training pajamas there, and they step in, and the life change, right? And on top of that, because of that, we have hundreds and hundreds of instructors sitting, uh, open the door for many people there. You know, we know how hard it is to have your own school. So many people, they want to leave a jiu-jitsu, but they don't have uh, the money. They don't have, you know, 
they don't have the possibility to, to start teaching because we have to have our own school. So now we have many people teaching jiu-jitsu that open the door for many instructors that teach jiu-jitsu. They live that's what they're doing for a living. So we have uh, just from the corporate side of the UFC gyms, there's 17 gyms. We have uh, 17 head instructors. They all teach the full time inside the UFC gym, and that's what they do for full time. So that's uh, opened the door for that too. So that really makes me very exciting to see. You know, we are introducing jiu-jitsu to the UFC gym for many people. They never be trained jiu-jitsu before, and we and we create a opportunity for many BJJ instructors to be able to live with that. Right. Some, they live in the job and they start only doing jiu-jitsu. That's what the goals they, they have in life and they're doing this now. So this is uh, extremely, uh, uh, I'm extremely happy to see that happen. And once we started this at nine years ago, you know, there was a lot of question about, you know, if they're going to have a BJJ inside, if this is going to be just a place to train, or this is going to be a program. So we have a program there with many black belts, brown belts, purple belts, uh, teaching and, and, and doing the work, you know. And uh, one more thing, <laughs> and another thing I have is the ring. I don't know if you uh, learn about ring. Yes, yeah, but please let us know more about it. <laughs> yeah, so, so ring, it's, uh, it's a competition team, right? So all the, uh, the OGs, you know, the, the old school guys from, from Baja Gracie School, uh, you know, I think majority of those guys left with the time, right? Different reasons. Some people, different uh, views on business. Some people went to own, have your own business, your own school, uh, doing your own thing. And uh, for many years, you know, we all those all those people that we still talk, we still friends, and everybody's still in connection together. But everybody has their own school. So now, you know, we are we are partnered up together. Everyone's still your own school, but in tournament, we unite as a, as a one team, and everybody fight under the ring, uh, uh, BJJ you know, team, and so going back. So it's kind of like you're going back. And there's no money involved. This is going to be a non-profit organization. So our goal is to helping our students. They want to do a competition, and and to give them more opportunity to them to training and network to training and get ready for the competition. So we all from the same lineage, right? Everybody came from College Grace Junior, and now we're united together, and we have uh, many schools already together, and uh, we're doing BJJ camps, so the team get together. But everybody still our own school, nothing changed as far, you know, we got, you got Gordo, I have your own school, I have my own school, Soca, Pedipano, uh, Gustavo Machado, we have many, many people uh, uh, together. But uh, everybody has their own school. But once they come to the tournament, the team gets united together and doing a competition. It's kind of like a remind what we did in Brazil. Well, once, you know, in the 90s, our, all those guys, at some point, were a black belt. And everybody was sitting on their own school, representing Grace Barra. And there was no money involved. It was everybody was doing the same thing. So kind of like we're doing the same thing. So wow. we are very... And I'm very happy to see that happen. And I can spend more time with friends for for long time friends now. I will spend more time with them. It's, it's great. Nice. So, Chiquinha, thank you for the interview. Appreciate your time. You're a busy guy. You know, got a lot of things going on, taking your time to share your knowledge with us. So I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, man. It was uh, good, good to talk to you. 
uh, I'm always following you, seeing your work. Uh, you know, I always watch you in competition too. And I see you, you know, uh, uh, I, I had a chance to win a tournament, one of your tournaments in Arizona before a long time ago too, in your federation. So I always follow your, your steps, man, see what you're doing. And uh, congratulations for all your work you've been doing, man. Thank you so much. And for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Oos. All right. Thank you. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Mauricio Tinguinha Mariano. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram TV at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Tinguinha is a fifth degree black belt and the owner of Tinguinha Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Yorba Linda, California. Also, he's the national director for the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu program for all UFC gyms. He talked about the importance of having mentors in your life, his struggle with asking for help, which I resonate very much so, and my takeaway from the interview was when he said, you can't go wrong working with something that you love, find your passion, which inspired me to title this episode, Find Your Passion and Live It. Passion is a common topic at the podcast and among entrepreneurs. The sad reality is that most people in the world do not work with something that they are passionate about. And passion is about authenticity. You might answer, absolutely, I'm authentic. I'm an honest person. I'm good to my family and friends. I say whatever I want. I dress any way I want. Fair enough. Now, let's tweak the question a little bit. Are you authentic to your desires? Do you pursue whatever you're passionate or whatever you feel like doing? That is a different conversation. I like to imagine authenticity as a graphic that includes levels from 0 to 100. Who knows if you'll be able to reach level 100. However, you should be shooting as high as possible, as close as possible to 100, so you can become the most authentic version of yourself. If you're listening to this and you're in a job that you don't like at all and you wish you to be doing something else, then you've got to ask yourself, am I authentic to my desires? Is this the same job that I'd like to have in one year? What about in five years? What about in 10 years? If you feel that these questions don't apply to you, maybe you can keep them in mind to help someone you know who is not happy with their current situation. Now, if you are in this current scenario, reflect on this question. What do you want? How can you be authentic to your desires? Not the desires of others, like family and friends. No, your desire. Maybe you can say, Gustavo, I don't know what I want. Fair enough. If you don't know what you want, start with what you don't want. Maybe it's time to look for another job if you don't like it. Yeah, Gustavo, it is for you to say I have kids' responsibility. I can't just leave my job. I totally understand. But if one day you want to raise your authenticity levels, you're going to have to make changes. I'm not saying to drop everything off and go for it, though. As you already know, this podcast is dedicated to entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs. One of the most common quotes that I share during the final thoughts and interviews come from the motivational speaker, Jim Rohn. Quote, work full time on your living and part time on your dream. And one day the part time can become your full time. Unquote. So I don't know where you're at in your journey right now. Maybe you made your decision to pursue your passion as a part time or you're in the middle of the grind. Perhaps you're already past that point and you're enjoying the grind of working with your passion. Keep it up. Now, if you'd rather be doing something else, 
the time to pursue the most authentic version of yourself is now. Why? Because time flies and you only have one life. There's a book out there called The Top 5 Regrets of Dying from this lady called Brony Ware. She's a nurse in Australia. She used to work with terminal patients with up to like 90 days to live. She started to interview the patients, asking them what their main regrets in life were. And the first one was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expect of me. There are a lot of people in the world with big, passionate entrepreneurial and career dreams they would like to pursue. However, they don't want to disappoint others like family and friends. Most of them at the end of their lives will be asking themselves, what if I had tried? But it will be too late. Before it gets too late, why not start raising your authenticity levels right now to live a more or even more passionate life? What is your next move? You know the answer. It's inside of you. What step do you need to take to move the needle a little bit closer to where you'd like to be? Is it acquiring new knowledge? Is it taking some classes? What kind of action needs to be done right now? Listen, it may take years for this transition to happen from working with something that you're not quite passionate about to what you'd love to do. The journey is long, however, it's worth it. If you really want to raise your levels of authenticity, becoming the most authentic version of yourself, reaching your full potential, you have to execute your vision. I want to close with one of the most powerful quotes from the motivational speaker, Les Brown. Quote, the graveyard is the richest place on earth because it's here that you will find all the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, the cures that were never discovered, all because someone was too afraid to take that first step, keep with the problem, or determined to carry out their dream. Unquote. Oh, We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.